Let us pray. God, we do just come and say you are holy, you are worthy, and you are just so good. And God, we're grateful that we get to come together this morning and to just make that claim, to uh, share that with each other, to remind ourselves of your goodness and your love and your mercy and your holiness. All of those are just so important to your character. And God, you are so important to our lives. And so we affirm that this morning as a congregation. And God, we just pray that right now as we enter into the time of hearing your word preached, God, may all of our hearts be receptive to what you want to speak to us this morning. God, we want a people who come expectantly to hear from you. God, we believe that you are alive and active and moving today. God, you are not a God who is far off. You're not a God who's in the past, but you are a God who is here present right now in what's going on. You are present in this church. You are present in our individual lives. And so we just ask for you to rule and reign this morning. And God, as, we, as your word is preached, I pray that you will be with me, hide my words behind the cross. And may it be you, the one teaching and leading and guiding all of us this morning through your scriptures, through the beautiful words that you had penned thousands of years ago, God. You still speak mightily and powerfully through those words today. So may all of us engage and interact with your word in a way that we learn more about you and Holy Spirit, that you allow us to become more like the person of Jesus this morning. We want to be a church that is committed to holiness and to be like Christ. God, we want to love people like you love them. We want to live like you lived. We want to become more like you and less like our fleshly selves. And so we ask for your help this morning to do that and to accomplish that in us. And so God, have your way in the rest of the service this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So who has ever been in a situation in life where you had a plan, you had a plan in place, and you had a good plan in place, uh, and then all of a sudden went off the rails and everything went wrong? Anyone ever had plans go wrong before? And sometimes it goes wrong because of poor planning, and sometimes it goes wrong because you just stop paying attention, right? Um, And so there was one time, so growing up, I was afraid of roller coasters. I was terrified of roller coasters growing up. I believe I was five years old. Uh, I went to Disney with my parents for the first time. And, you know, five-year-olds, you can't ride every roller coaster in the world. Like, you can only ride, like, the small ones. And I don't even remember what ride we were on, but we were on the ride together. And I was a very spoiled kid, and so we're going around the amusement park. I'm sure I am pestering my parents every 30 second for a funnel cake or ice cream or candy. Every time we go by one of those things, I'm sure I'm bugging my mom and dad to get me that. And they usually would. And so I'm filled with all this sugary deliciousness in my stomach, and then it gets to the point to come onto the roller coaster to ride the roller coaster, and I'm nervous, and I'm scared, and I'm full of all kinds of things that probably shouldn't be in your stomach at that point in time. And so we go up, to me, what seems like a mile in the air, but once again, I was five years old, so it's probably like 20 feet in the air, not very high. Me and my dad are sitting next to each other, and I just reached the point where I'm nervous and overstuffed with stuff that I, what was in, came out. And so I vomit on the roller coaster. And to this day, I still wonder, did I like accidentally throw up on the person in front of me or below? Like I'm still, if you're watching this and you had a kid throw up on you, 30 years ago, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Um, But, you know, when you're five and something traumatic like that happens, you kind of don't get over it very quickly, right? So I was scared of roller coasters in elementary school, which isn't that big of a deal. You know, you get to middle school, and it's about half and half. Half of middle schoolers really love roller coasters and rides like that, and half are still really scared of them. So it wasn't really a big deal for me to be afraid of them. But then I get to high school, 
And that's when it gets embarrassing to still be afraid of roller coasters, right? And so I was still afraid of them in high school, but we would go to the amusement park a good bit. I lived in the D.C. area. We would go to Six Flags, uh, and we'd go a lot with family and friends and stuff like that. So I tried to hide, and I did a good job of hiding that I didn't like roller coasters. I would go to all the carnival games. I'd play all of those things. Uh, or there'd be like two different groups together, and I would float between the groups. And I'd say, oh, I already rode that one earlier. I'm not going to ride that one again. So I'm like getting out of them any way possible. Oh, it's like, oh, I need to go eat. I need to go to the bathroom. I had every excuse in the world to not let people find out that I was scared of roller coasters when I was in high school. And so there was only a couple family members that knew my secret. And uh, I had this plan in place. I was never going to let people know that I was a wimp and afraid of roller coasters. Uh, then... My, I think I was 16 years old when we went to Six Flags on a school trip. So I went to a school with 3,500 students, and so there's a ton of people there. A lot of people in my class were there, and so we're just going around. Once again, the plan's in place. The plan's not going to go astray. The plan's not going to go wrong. No one's going to find out I'm afraid of roller coasters, so it's going well. I'm like floating between groups, conveniently getting out of line right before they get in line for the roller coasters, doing the carnival games, eating food, just going everywhere, having a blast, but no one realizes that I'm afraid of roller coasters. And then the plan failed. The plan went wrong, it went astray, not because like my friends had some grand plan and figured I was afraid of them and they tricked me into going on. All that happened was I stopped paying attention. I stopped paying attention to what was going on. And so my one friend, Brian, was being extra funny that day and so we were laughing, having a good time. And then like we're in line, I thought we were, I don't know where I thought we were going, but I didn't think we were going in line for a roller coaster at that moment. And so we're just laughing, having a good time. And then I look up, I'm like, oh, we're really close to that roller coaster. I guess we're going to get on it. And so I go to turn around to come up with some sort of excuse, got to go to the bathroom, whatever. And I discover that we're already in line with about 30 to 40 people behind me. And I'm like, oh, no. I either have to own up to the fact that I'm actually terrified of roller coasters or go ride the roller coaster. And so I was in this situation I didn't want to be in, this predicament I didn't want to be in, because I had a plan in place. There's something I wanted to do, hide the fact that I was afraid of roller coasters, uh, and it went astray all because I wasn't paying attention to where I was because I was so caught up in the moment with what I was doing. I chose the lesser of the two evils, which was to ride the roller coaster and not admit my fear of it. Um, and so that's what happened. But I want to talk this morning about being led astray, right? My plan went astray, and so many times in life our plans go astray and our lives go astray. And sometimes it's just because we have poor planning or someone's out to get us, but often our lives are quietly led astray. And so that's what we're talking about this morning, how we're quietly led astray, and specifically how are we spiritually quietly led astray, because it happens often, right? When people are followers of Jesus, it's not like they just wake up one day. It's like, you know what? I don't like this Jesus person anymore. I'm going to give up on him, right? They don't just wake up one day and be like, you know what? I think church is evil, and I'm not going to go to one anymore. It's slow decisions along the way, sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional, that leads us astray and leads us away from God. You even look at the first sin that happened. So you get Adam and Eve in the garden, and right, what did they do? They ate the what? They ate the fruit, right? Is eating fruit in and of itself a bad thing? Absolutely not. I hope you all go home and eat fruit because fruit is delicious and good for you. The problem was, though, where the problem lies, not in the fact that they ate fruit, but they disobeyed God and chose to do what God told them not to do. They cared more about their own desires. They cared more about their own interests than listening to God in that moment right? That is what led to the problem. It wasn't that the fruit was the problem. It was the disobedience to God. They chose to put their own desires ahead of what God said is good 
and right for them. At the end of the day, they pursued something God created more than they pursued God himself. And that, at the end of the day, is idolatry. And so it's when we're worshiping something ahead of God. And so, you know, it could be a false God. It could be an actual physical idol. But anytime we are putting something in the created order above the creator, we have ceased to worship God and we have started to worship his creation. And that's not good. So today we're going to talk a little bit about how we're quietly led astray by the things of the world to where we ignore the one who made the world. And so the main passage that we're going to go with this morning, it's a pretty common passage. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages. It was one of the first passages I remember memorizing in college. Uh, it's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And we're really going to be focusing on verse 2, but one's such a good verse, we can't just skip it and leave it out. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm going to read that again because that's really where we're going to stay a good bit this morning. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. If we want to know the goodness of God and we want to know his will, we have to have our minds transformed and renewed. And so I think we can all recognize that our world needs to be transformed, right? Anyone think the world is perfect as it is today? I hope not, because it's not that great, right? And despite the fact it's not that great, this is about the best the world's ever had, right? And it's still really messed up. The best the world's ever offered is really, really messed up still. And so we should want the world to be transformed. Yet as Christians in our country today, in our world today, not just our country, we slowly see our friends, our neighbors, family members, even ourselves, not being transformed into the image of Christ, but being conformed to the ways of the world. There are more people leaving the church today in our country than ever before. People who are walking away from God, people who are walking away from Jesus, people who are walking away from the church, they're giving up on all of it. And the question is, why are they doing it? How are they slowly being led astray? And so there's numerous things that do that, and we'll just cover a couple of them today. And so as we're looking at this, the first thing that we want to talk about is we entertain ourselves to death. And we're talking about spiritual death. And so I'm gonna, we're going to have death on the screen numerous times. We're talking about a spiritual death. We are slowly entertaining ourselves to death. So when I talk about Six Flags, or you could talk about Disney, or you can talk about Carowinds, all of those are what? They're amusement parks, right? So that word amusement, I want to kind of pause on that word for a second. I don't know how I went 32 and a half years of my life until about six months ago, not realizing what's going on with that word amusement, right? Just pause and think about it. It starts with the letter what? A, right? So amusement, not uh, entertainment. So amusement starts with A, and then you get A-muse-ment. Now, just linguistically, for all you linguistic nerds out there, when you start a word with that prefix A, it often means not or without, right? So it's like the opposite of. So we're talking about not. The second part of it is muse. If you are musing over something, what are you doing? Thinking about it, right? That's what musing, I looked it up just to make sure I was right about this. Muse means to think about something carefully and thoughtfully. So musing over things is to think about things carefully and thoughtfully. So if you are A, musing, what are you doing? You are not thinking about it, right? So when we talk about amusement, when we talk about being amused, what we're talking about is not thinking about things, 
right? That's what entertainment and amusement is. It is getting us to not think about what's going on. And that's the reality of what goes on with most of the entertainment and amusement in our world. We don't think about it. And I do that too. I remember having a conversation with one of my uh, best friends and his wife probably like five years ago. You know, after a long day's work, do you want to go home and like engage your mind and do all this rigorous thinking? Is that the first thing you want to do when you get home? Absolutely not. What do you want to do? Plop on the couch, turn on the TV, right? Or now, probably more so, we plop on the couch and do this. And so that's what we want to do most often. We're not engaging our minds. We are being amused. We are not thinking about what's going on. And when we do that, we're slowly feeding our fleshly nature and not our spiritual nature. We're seeking what the world has to offer and not what Christ has to offer. And so this is a really important distinction when we're talking about it because we are, the world is going to conform us more to its image than the image of Christ. Most of the things out there that you're going to watch and scroll through aren't going to be these good godly things that are giving you good morals, right? We are amusing ourselves to death. We are not thinking about what we're consuming because the truth and the reality of things, whether we're thinking about it or not, whether we're considering it or not, what you are listening to and watching is shaping you, right? It's true physically, right? Let's just say I'm going to eat lunch and I say I'm going to ignore the nutrition label on all the food that I'm eating. It doesn't count because I don't know what it says, right? I'm not paying attention to the label so it doesn't impact me. Is that how it works physically? I wish, but absolutely not, right? Just because we're ignorant or not paying attention doesn't mean that the nutrition doesn't impact us, right? I can't just say, I don't see that it's got 100 grams of sugar, so it's fine for me, right? It still is there. And so when we're talking about socially or spiritually, all of those different things, just because we ignore something just because we pretend it's not there or just because we don't notice it doesn't mean it's not impacting us. So the more and more of what we're consuming, it is impacting our minds and more than likely it's conforming us to the pattern of the world and not transforming our minds. And so that's why, and once again, I'm for entertainment, I'm for having fun and stuff like that, and God is too. Because last I checked, the Bible says that God, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you to the full. Like God wants us to have a full life, a good, meaningful, purposeful life. But so when we're looking at it, we are amusing ourselves to death because we're not thinking about what we're consuming, and it's slowly leading us away. And just a couple examples of how we do that. Uh, you can just look entertainment. You can look at Disney and stuff like that. I don't know if you've watched Disney stuff recently, but it's not like it's exactly this example of godly wisdom and biblical ethics and stuff like that. It's not the case. And it's easy to pick on Disney because today that's not the case. But if you go back and watch stuff from the 90s, it's not like Disney was this great biblical ethic back then, right? Look at The Little Mermaid. You got this abusive, controlling father and this teenage girl who runs away and like just sees this guy who she's attracted to and like throws everything away to throw herself at him. That's not exactly a biblical ethic that we're talking about in the 90s. And you can look at like all of them from the 90s and 2000s. And I'm not saying we can't watch those or shouldn't watch those. I'm not trying to communicate, oh, as Christians, we should never watch movie or we should boycott Disney. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm saying is we shouldn't amuse while doing that. We shouldn't go without thinking while watching it, right? We should be thinking about the messages that it's sending and we should make sure that while we're watching all of those things, we are considering the message is being sent, and we can say, you know what, I'm not going to let that shape my mind. I'm going to continue to let my mind be renewed and transformed by Christ instead. 
right? So we have to be careful about what we're consuming because it is impacting us whether we think about it or not. You can look at Disney, you can look at Marvel, which Disney owns, uh, but I'm a big Marvel fan. I love all the Marvel comic movies and stuff like that. Loved all the Infinity War saga. But really, if you pay attention to what's going on, which I didn't initially notice, it wasn't until Christine pointed, my wife pointed out to me, that there is a not-so-subtle theme over the Infinity War saga which culminates with the Avengers fighting Thanos. It is a not-subtle message of the greatest forces of Earth fighting against an evil god, right? That's the message that's being sent in that, and it's not that subtle when you have those glasses on to look at it. That is the, the company of Marvel saying God is evil, and we have to overthrow him, right? And once again, I'm not saying you can't watch Marvel movies because I'm going to watch them. I haven't seen the new Thor movie yet. Probably going to go see it. But I'm saying when we watch these things, when we consume stuff, we can't just turn our brains off because we want our minds to be renewed. If we want to know who God is, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his character, according to Romans chapter 12, we have to have our minds be renewed. And so we have to stay on top of what is going on, Right? And so that's just one branch of how the world is distracting us and we're amusing ourselves to death. You can even look at sports. Once again, huge sports fan. I love watching sports. I love playing sports. But when you think about the world today and how much time we spend and teenagers spend playing sports and watching sports, it's a huge amount of time. And there's benefits to it. There are things you can learn on a sports team that you can't learn in any other situation. So I'm very pro sports. But you look at the time going into it, and you look at the time that people are investing in it, imagine just for a moment that parents and teens spend as much time, energy, and money investing in the discipleship of their kids as they are in sports, right? Imagine if we spent that much time. That would be a huge difference in what's going on. And so, and, and the Bible talks about that. Uh, it talks about the good of physical training in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. For physical training is of some value... But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come, right? And so it is good. I am very for sports, but we need to make sure as Christians we are prioritizing and putting spiritual life above everything else, including athletics, right? We need to do that. We need to make sure that that is happening um, because I, I, would, I would guess that if we spend as much time studying the scriptures and studying the Bible and praying and fellowshipping with believers, if we spend as much time doing those things as we did on sports, we would probably have a generation of people passionately following Jesus and reaching people for his name. And so once again, not saying you can't watch movies, not saying you can't play sports. Both of those are good things. Um, and they're also, both of those are ways to engage with unbelievers and connect with them and point them to the goodness of God. But we have to be careful because we are slowly amusing ourselves to death. We're not thinking about what we're doing and we're slowly drifting and straying away from Christ. And it's not just sports. It's not just movies. It's the news. It's social media, which we talked about some last week, podcasts, YouTube. You feel it. Most of those things, if we're not having the mind of Christ on when we're consuming them, it's going to conform us more to the pattern of this world than it is to Jesus. And so we have to be careful how we're consuming it, right? And so that's kind of the first thing. Just remember, we don't want to amuse ourselves to death. We don't want to not think and have our lives totally transformed and changed. Second thing that we want to talk about is we work ourselves to death, to spiritual death. We live in a work-obsessed culture, 
or at least we did before COVID. It's not quite so work-obsessed as it was then. But imagine this. Let's say later this week I bump into you at the grocery store, and imagine how weird this would sound if, I, if you said, how's your week going? And I told you, well, I'm doing great. I've had so much time this week, I really got to relax and recharge. I've picked up a new hobby, and we started a garden. How weird would that be to sound, right, if I honestly said that? Because more than likely, if I bump into you at the store, and I ask you how you're doing, and you ask me how I'm doing, what are we going to say? We're going to say, I'm really busy, right? That's the answer. We all say, I'm really busy, because for the most part, we're all really busy, we're doing all of these things between working and all the other stuff that we have going on. We're doing so much that it's hard to rest and relax and hard to take that time to really have our minds renewed on Christ because we've got so much going on. We can't even slow down to put Christ first in our minds. And God wants us to relax. He doesn't want us to be busy all the time. I try to think of now busy as a four-letter word, right? We don't like to use four-letter words. Those are the bad words that we don't say, right? And so busy is a word that I'm trying to get out of my vocabulary and make sure I rest because that's what Christ wants for us. Matthew chapter 11, 29, another very popular verse. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we are working and going day after day, moment after moment, hour after hour, and we never are able to rest, we're never able to rest in the Lord either. And so we're doing so much and we're not thinking about what's going on. We're not thinking about Christ and his goodness. It's hard to be transformed to be more like Christ if we aren't taking time to do the things that Christ calls us to do because we're pursuing so many things. Right? And we're all very proud of our hard work, right? It's embarrassing to say, I didn't have much going on this week, right? If we're being honest, who would be embarrassed to say, I didn't have much going on this week? I would be, it, I would be almost ashamed to say that, right? And that's not healthy. I'm just saying that's the reality of the world we live in. And then we like to kind of boast and brag about our hard work, right? Lots of people, they go buy a car and they're like, look at this nice new car I bought with my hard-earned money. Look at this new house that I have with my hard-earned money. Look at my new phone that I could afford. Or in today's world, look at the gas I could afford to put in my tank. I've put it all the way up, right? And so work becomes an idol. We idolize work and we idolize working. And we idolize ourselves in the process instead of recognizing where our blessings truly come from. Because the Bible values hard work. I'm not just saying we shouldn't work hard. As Christians, we should be some of the hardest working people, but we should work hard and rest hard right? And so it's really important to do that. We should be very hardworking. But here's where the problem comes in when we idolize it and we idolize saying, I'm the one who did all of this. I'm the one who earned all of this, instead of recognizing that God has brought those blessings to us. I want to read from Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. This is a story about King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and he was probably the most powerful person in the world, was running Babylon, like the greatest empire at the time right then. Things are going really well for Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, like Two thumbs up for them in the, the eyes of the world. And it says, 12 months later, as the king was walking, being King Nebuchadnezzar, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal resident by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Seems like he likes someone a whole lot in these couple sentences. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. 
You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar had a problem here. He worked so hard. He was so busy establishing his empire, his home, his, his dominance over the world that he forgot to recognize the one true God. Now, he wasn't an Israelite, but he, through meeting Daniel and his encounters with Daniel, he was intrigued with the God of the Israelites. He was interested in who this God was, uh, and he was beginning to learn more and more about God. But when that's happening... At the end of the day, he was still more concerned with his work ethic. He was still more concerned with what he was doing. He was still more concerned with his empire. And he wasn't as concerned with God's. And God, in this moment, because of that, because of his obsession with his work and his success, God cursed him. Now, this curse actually turns out to be a blessing, which is with everything that God does. It turns out to be a blessing because Nebuchadnezzar, after this time, realizes the error of his ways. And kind of the last thing we get to hear from Nebuchadnezzar, he is talking like he believes in the one true God. So I don't know all that happens in his life, but it sounds like this incident where God curses him turns out to be a blessing because he realizes the one who is truly in control. And it's not him, but it's God. And so when we work so hard, we fail to forget, we fail to remember the one who gives us all good gifts and all good things. We're obsessed with work. And when we're looking at it, there's so many stories, and I'm sure you've heard them, of parents who are working hard and working hard and providing and providing, and it's always, you know, look at any movie from the 90s or 2000s, and what's the overall arching story? The father worked hard, wasn't involved in the family, and his family wanted to have nothing to do with them because he's ignored them for years and years, right? Even the Christmas classic Elf, right? What happens? The dad's working, his sons don't care, like his sons don't feel like they care about him. And so it's the story that happens. And the reason it's this thing that happens all the time in those movies is because it's often true, right? And once again, the Bible affirms working hard. The Bible affirms caring for your family. That is an incredibly important thing to do. But when we're so obsessed with that, that we forget to take time for our family and our kids and to disciple them, it becomes an idol and it becomes a problem. And it slowly leads us astray from, who, from God and from what God calls us to do, right? So many Christians are working more for the American dream than they are for the kingdom of Jesus, once again, the American dream's not bad. I look forward to when I can buy a house with a nice picket fence and put a dog in it and my 2.3 kids. That's a great thing. I look forward to that. I'm very for that. And so it's not a bad thing. But when I'm more obsessed and concerned with the American dream than I am with following Jesus and establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, like Jesus has called us to, that's when the problem comes. And so we are slowly led astray by these other interests. We are slowly led astray by these other desires that we end up not doing what God has called us to do, right? And so we see that when we are more obsessed with our success financially or whatever in this world, we're being more conformed to the world than we are having our minds renewed in Christ. And so we don't have time to break all of that down and talk about all of that in detail. Uh, but there are some really good books out there you can read that I've read about this. You can read Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, Radical by David Platt. Those are some really good books on how we can't just let our own desires and our own interests to consume who we are. But sometimes we have to lay some of those things down so that we can prioritize Christ and his work in our lives. So once again, I'm not saying that 
working is bad because working is very good. I'm not saying working hard is bad, but I'm saying when we're so obsessed with that and the success that comes with it, we're going to end up a lot more like Nebuchadnezzar than we are like Jesus. And so let's make sure we take time to dedicate to Christ and his ways and to loving those around us than we do to our own success on this planet. Third thing that I want to talk about is we obsess over the supernatural to death. So we're entering into a a different and new realm of life, especially with Gen Z coming up as a youth pastor, all these young, well now some of them are young adults, but young adults and teenagers and all of their interests and passions. And Gen Z gets a really bad reputation for a lot of really good reasons, but I will say they're some of the most passionate people generation that there is. They really care about what they care about. And so I think there's a huge potential for, there's going to be, I I believe wholeheartedly that in Gen Z, there's going to be a huge split. There's going to be those who are passionately, passionately against Christianity, but there are going to be those who stand up for it like no one has in decades in decades, because they're so passionate about what they love and what they believe. And so I see it with some of the youth. Their passion for Jesus, their passion to follow him, their passion to want to live differently, right? But right now we live in a world where there's an obsession with the supernatural, which in some ways is good, but in a lot of ways it's really, really bad. And it's showing up more and more. I haven't watched the show Stranger Things, but from what I hear, kind of the later seasons are getting a little more dark and demonic and things like that. And I'm not saying you can't watch Stranger Things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. The Doctor Strange movie, Doctor Strange in the comic books and in the movies was always involved with demons and the demonic and stuff like that. So it's not surprising that it's in the movie and it's nothing new that it's in the movie. Um, And so all of this isn't necessarily new. You can go back. You can look at Bewitched, right? That's looking at the supernatural. You can look at Hocus Pocus. It's not like these are new concepts to involve the supernatural in spirits. It's just getting a little more common. In fact, there's a weird thing that uh, came across some of the youth in the community and are playing this game on their phone. And so, you know, there's all kinds of weird games out there and stuff like that. When I was growing up, people would play The Sims. Anyone ever play The Sims before? You have your little character, you create your world and stuff like that. You build your house uh, and you have your character and you try to find like uh, your, your wife and stuff like that. And you have your little family, your little fake family and stuff like that online. That's very normal. Uh, and so like dating online, fake dating online games are pretty normal. Uh, well, apparently there's one that's at least semi-common in which the you don't, it's once again fictional, but you're not going and finding someone to date. You're going and finding a demon to date. It's like a demon dating game that a lot of youth are playing right now. And they say, it's just a game. It's not real. And I'm saying, maybe, but the more you dabble with the supernatural, the more the supernatural dabbles with you, right? If you start messing with things like that enough, then they're going to mess back. Because as Christians, we believe in God, but we also believe in demons. We believe in the evil spirits, that they exist. You read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, you can listen to people in our world today that testify that evil spirits are real. You know, we don't necessarily see them every day, but I don't necessarily see God every day, but we see the effects of evil spirits and all of that. And these are things that are strongly leading people astray because we are being amused by the supernatural. We're being led astray by the supernatural. And so uh, sorcery and witchcraft is really on the rise in the world today. I just Googled it earlier. I Googled witchcraft. And here's some, I'm going to quote these. This isn't me saying This is me reading headlines from Googling this. Witchcraft on the rise. Is witchcraft on the rise? Witchcraft is on the rise. And for good reason. 
interest in spirituality and witchcraft on the rise amid COVID-19. The list goes on and on and on of all these different articles in which witchcraft, this isn't just someone like, I read Harry Potter, I want to be a witch for Halloween. This is people who truly want to be witches, like with casting spells and uh, brewing potions and things like that. That is on the rise in our world today, and it's in our area. There are people who want to be witches in this area, in the Chesney-Spartanburg area. That's something that they want because they're interested in the supernatural. They want something more than this life has to offer. And the truth of the matter is, I too want something more than this life has to offer. And hopefully all of us want something more than this life has to offer. The question is, where are we looking for the extra meaning? Where are we looking for the extra purpose? Right? All of this is on the rise. And we should want that. We should affirm this fleshly world isn't all that there is to offer. There's something more. There's something greater. There's something better. But we need to look for it in the right places and not in the wrong places. And another thing that I uh, was learning about, because I knew nothing about this, but as I was getting ready to look at things that are quietly leading astray, there's also a growing interest in psychedelic drugs. Um, And so a lot of people who talk about drugs, there's almost two different categories. There's drugs and then there's psychedelic drugs. Uh, And so I didn't know anything about psychedelics, so I went to the expert in the world, Joe Rogan, started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast to learn a little bit about psychedelic drugs. And he and a lot of people on his show very heavily promote using psychedelic drugs. In fact, I was listening to one episode and this one guy was saying, everyone needs to try psychedelic drugs. For the record, don't do psychedelic drugs. (laughs) Let me make that as clear as I can possible. This is what people are saying though. People are saying uh, that when you do psychedelic drugs, they're having these incredible spiritual encounters, and they're meeting with these spirit guides. They're saying they're learning more about themselves. They're saying these experiences while on drugs is more real than when they're not on them. And so there's all these people looking for these supernatural spiritual encounters through the use of psychedelic drugs. And the truth of the matter is, they're probably not just making it up. They probably are interacting with true spiritual entities, true spiritual beings, but not the good one. Right? They're not interacting with God, but they're interacting with evil spirits and demons. And so I do have a video of a guy that I want to show you real quick. Um, he's a guy who, he, he lived a hard life. He was on drugs before being saved in his uh, early, mid-20s, I don't remember. Uh, but then he has a story about uh, psychedelic drug use and stuff like that. So let's watch this video. Maybe we'll get the sound. Start it over. If not, I can just talk through what he's saying. We're always something separate. Interesting. I guess the thing about it is that mushrooms and psychedelics in my past were always something separate. Like, I saw drugs as drugs, and then psychedelics to me were like a medicine. And the funny thing about psychedelics is that it taught me a lot of things that are true. It taught me a lot of things about myself that are still true today. It taught me a lot of truth. But the thing about these things is that it's just enough truth to keep you going down the rabbit hole and just enough lie to keep you bound. And so it's like I would, I would t- and an example would be that I would take, you know, mushrooms or, or acid or something, and it would make me aware of 
where I was wrong in life, I guess you could say. Like, I would feel guilty about, like, man, I should be a better brother. I should be a better, you know, son. I should be a better employee. Like, it would, it would make me feel as if I was missing the mark. It would make me feel guilty. Uh, and then it would also share some type of, you know, universal truth to me that, in hindsight, it sounded like good ideas. But what happened was I never found the power to act on those things or to follow through with the things that were being revealed to me. But either way, it had a huge impact on me. And it was always like in, in the bottom of me somewhere like I was curious about it still. Like what if it's really not that big of a deal? What if, and so that seed was basically planted for a couple months and it was just kind of there. And I never really was like, I'm gonna act on it. But it was just kind of in my mind, just kind of, you know, subconsciously praying to God about it. And so what happened was my conversation with God about it was, it sounds crazy now when I hear myself, right? But my conversation with God was like, all right, God, this is what I'm going to do. I was like, I'm going to take some psychedelics. And now because, like I said, I was moving in the giftings, my spiritual senses were open. So I'm like, all right, now I'm awake. I'm aware. I know the truth. So I'm going to take this stuff. I'm going to go into the spirit realm. And I'm going to find out all the lies so I can come back and tell people that are caught up in this. And that was my prayer. Like, I was like, I'm going to go in the spirit realm. I'm going to use my authority in Christ. And I'm going to tell all these beings to reveal themselves in Jesus' name and, like, show yourself kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, show me the truth. And so just listening to him talk, when he's talking about being on these drugs, he's talking about going and interacting with spiritual beings. He's not saying and I thought that I was, or I felt like I was. And he says this, all these different podcasts I was looking to, listening to on the Joe Rogan podcast about people being on there, they are seeking spiritual encounters by getting on psychedelic drugs. And so just be aware that we are living in a world where people are seeking the supernatural, but they would rather seek it out and find it in psychedelic drugs than they would in coming to church and experience the reality and truth of who God is, right? That's where we're at in the world. And the truth is, once again, we should want to encounter the supernatural. We should want more of things that don't exist, exist just in what we can see and what we can feel. But we don't need to look for it anywhere other than in the person of Jesus Christ and the moving of his Holy Spirit. Because the truth of the matter is what Jesus has to offer you and what Jesus has to offer me is way better than anything any entertainment or sport or drug could ever offer us. And so as people are seeking out the supernatural... We should be able and excited to point them to the truth and reality of who God is and that they can be more fulfilled in who they are. They can have more joy. They can have more purpose if they seek after the one true God and not all of these fake spinoffs that the world wants to show them. And so that's kind of the last point to kind of mention as we begin to wrap this up. We should seek the creator over the created to receive life. People are seeking the things that God has made. People are seeking uh, the entertainment. We are being amused. We are working ourselves, and there people are seeking the supernatural. And all of those things are leading us astray, right? All of those things are not helping us to transform our minds. All of those things are conforming us more and more and more to the pattern of the world. And so we should be people, as Christians, we should be pursuing and running after God so much that we're able to talk to other people about the truth and reality of who he is. We should be so excited about what God is doing in your life and my life and the life of the church that we're able to excitedly share with people, hey, there is a solution to your loneliness. There is a solution to your sense of meaningless, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. 
right? We have the God of the universe who loves us so deeply and truly and purely that he was willing to die for us. There's nothing as comparable and amazing as that truth and reality. And I think for most of us at some point in our lives, when we've experienced the goodness of God, there's nothing that can replace that. Those moments when we truly are walking in the spirit and sensing his love for us is the greatest thing ever to know we are fully loved by the all-powerful being in the universe. No amount of supernatural or witchcraft or entertainment can ever replace the true value that we have in Christ. And so we need to be sharing that and promoting that. And so as, and here's the thing, here's the other thing about it. When we're talking about the supernatural, we read in the Bible, we read about miracles, we read about these strange things that we don't see every day in our world today. But here's a, a verse I want to read with you, John chapter 14, verse 12. Uh, and we have 12 through, 12 through 14 on the screen, but I'm just going to read verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus talking, will do the works I have been doing. And last time I checked, there were some pretty crazy miracles in the Bible. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And so he's referring there to sending the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, there will be a sense of things happening that we can't explain. There will be a sense of things happening that science can't explain because God is greater. He is the greatest force in the universe and he is a personal God who wants to move and act in powerful and mighty ways. And so we should seek the supernatural. We should seek the things outside of ourselves, but we need to seek Christ and the Holy Spirit, right? I'm sure you've all seen crazy things happen in the world when God has moved, right? We can look at the world today. We can look at scripture. We can look at Christian history to see how powerful and good and mighty Jesus is. And we want to be a part of that and include more and more people in that. And so kind of as we wrap up, I just want to encourage you not to amuse yourself to death. I want to encourage you to think. I want us to be thinking people because that's what Christ calls us to, right? If we want to be more like Christ, we need to have our minds renewed, we need to be thinking about what's going on. We need to be thinking about what we're consuming. We need to think, be thinking about the decisions we're making. And we need to be thinking about what we're most passionate about. How are we seeking God in the day in and day out? There's a uh, guy, I read his book. He had a good book. Beckett Cook is, is his name. And I watch a lot of his teachings online. He's a really good, passionate follower of Jesus. And he's got a good story. He's one who lived in Hollywood, worked in Hollywood for decades and decades before becoming a Christian. And he said something that really resonates with me. And it's something that also scares me, if I'm being completely honest. Um, he's someone who, once again, lived in Hollywood, seen all the effects of Hollywood. And he says that as followers of Jesus, his recommendation for people, and I think he's right, I think he's right in this, that if we are to consume an hour of social media or the news or TV or movies, that's going to conform us to the image of the world. And so if we just want to stay neutral in our relationship with God, then we probably need, to, for every hour we're consuming of things that's conforming us to the world, we probably need to consume of an hour of things pointing us to Christ. Scripture, prayer, fellowship with believers, or there is Christian content out there. Like if you haven't watched The cho uh, Chosen, I'm a big fan of that. And so for every hour we're consuming worldly things, if we want to stay neutral in our relationship with God, we probably need to consume an hour of godly things. And so if we want to grow in our relationship with God, it makes sense that we probably need to spend more time 
on godly things than we do on earthly things, right? That's what makes sense to me. And I think about as the youth pastor, as someone who deals with youth, especially coming out, beginning to come out of summer, youth camp was such an amazing time for our youth, such an amazing time for me. Family camp has been a great week this week, seeing all that God's doing in the youth and in all of the adults there. It's an amazing time. And there's so much passion and desire to live a transformed life. The youth are so excited about wanting to live differently going into the school year. And the trick, though, is for some, hopefully, hopefully not, but typically when that happens, there comes this point when the youth are like, why am I not growing? And as adults, I can resonate with this as an adult as well. I'm passionate about following Jesus. And then all of a sudden I'm like, why am I not growing in my relationship with God? Why am I not doing that? And the truth is because I'm being amused. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. I'm not thinking about what I'm consuming. And the truth and the reality is I'm consuming more worldly things than I am godly things. And so if we want to grow, we have to really decide, do we, how much do we truly love Christ? And the speaker at Family Camp was talking about this, what is love? He's saying love is desire, right? When you love something, you desire it. But love is more than just desire. It is also an expression of willpower, right? Because I desire to be fit and run a six-minute mile. Can I run a six-minute mile right now? No. I have the desire to, but I don't have the willpower to, right? And so when it comes to our relationship with God, I think we all desire to be close. But how much are we going to have the true love and willpower to commit ourselves to do the things and live the life that we need to do to prioritize Christ above everything else? That's the question that we need to wrestle with. If we want to grow, we have to do things that are going to cause us to grow, right? If you want grass to grow, if you want your plants to grow, if you want anything to grow, you have to do things to help it to grow. And if we want to grow in our relationship with Christ, we can't be so distracted by the fun and engaging things in this world or the other supernatural things in this world that we neglect Christ in the process, right? Once again, I'm not saying we can't watch movies or TV shows, uh, but I'm just saying keep our minds on, Keep the mind of Christ on when you're doing those things to know how your tr- the world is trying to influence you. And so those are the things that we need to ponder and think about and focus on. And we need to make sure that Christ is our first priority and Christ is our first love. Let's pray and then we'll close. God, I just want to thank you again for being holy and worthy like we were singing earlier. Um, God, you're worth it. God, it is truly hard to be a follower. It is truly hard to to follow you because there are so many things in this world that are entertaining, that are engaging, that are interesting. But God, I just pray that we will remember how good you are. God, I pray that we will remember your love. We will remember your sacrifice. We'll remember the moments that we have drawn close to you in prayer and in reading scripture uh, and in fellowship with other believers. God, I pray that we will remember how good you are. And God, I pray that you will give us a fresh taste of how good you are, that we will this week, everyone in this room, everyone watching online and listening, that all of us will have an encounter with you this week. And God, I pray that we will seek that out. We will desire it. We will long for it. We'll go out of our way to do that. God, we seek after so many things that we love, and I pray that this week we will not be led astray by the world in all the little ways, but God, I pray that we will prioritize you over all else, and I am including myself in that. God, I want to want you more, and God, I pray that that can be our heart, that the moments when we don't want you, if we're being honest, Holy Spirit, help us to want to want you. Help us to want to want to be different because we know that you can make that change in our lives. 
Holy Spirit, you are the one who brings the transformation, not just trying harder, not just our efforts, but Holy Spirit, I pray that you will truly help us. You will come and be the present and near and powerful God in our lives today and in this week. And so God, be with us as we go and help us to walk in your ways and help us, our minds to be renewed each and every moment of each and every day. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.